0: Would you stand with me for reading God's Word? I'm going to be in Matthew 27 again this morning, continuing our series, The Way of Suffering. And it really does go a little bit along this theme today, I tell you. I, I, I'm looking forward and not looking forward to preparing for Uh, These sermons in this series, because in all honesty, these are some of the hardest and most difficult passages to read and to reflect on. And normally, if we have a kind of a deeper, heavier week, right, the next week we might preach on joy or something like that to bring us out of that. But we have a couple weeks here where it's heavy most of those weeks. Now, we know that we still can preach the joy, and we've seen and heard testimony already this morning of giving that joy even in those times. But it's because we know what is coming on Easter that we may go through and live these out and preach on them and, and hear them and let them take part of us because we know that Easter is coming. Amen? Amen. Would you read with me Matthew 27, verse 27. We're going to read 27 to 31. That is going to be our scripture for the day. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisting together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led Him away to crucify Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, even in the most difficult passages, just as with the most difficult days in our lives, we may look forward to the victory that was won on your cross. Let these words, Lord, be written on our minds and on our hearts. They are your words. Let them impact us in a way that changes us let us not become apathetic let us not hear and then immediately forget but let us come to know who you are better through your word and your living word jesus christ we give these things over to you in the name of jesus amen amen you may be seated Now, where we are at today, this punishment would not be allowed. Does anybody know why this punishment would not be allowed? We have a Bill of Rights, and if you would be a great history buff, we won't put anybody on the spot for that. Lynn would probably get it. Uh, I've already been impressed with him this, this year, but if, if you would go to the Eighth Amendment, We like to talk about those, but if you go to the 8th Amendment, there's a very important part of that. A very important part of that clause, and it states that there will be no cruel or unusual punishments inflicted. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that that we have a right within our place to not have cruel and unusual punishments? Because we have and we know within our hearts because of our sin that we were to bear a punishment. But you see, we have a promise that that would not be done. That this is exactly what the Romans were doing. We look and think about that Eighth Amendment. The reason that it was put into place, it came from uh, the, the, the English. They had a similar thing in theirs, and it was brought over, and, and we have some of our patriots over the years, and Patrick Henry being one, and others that, that talked about what would be important. This was not in the original Constitution. It is something that, again, when we brought through what was important and these rights that it was put on, that you should not have a government that creates and has the authority to inflict cruel, and unusual punishment. And if we knew our history, the reason that they put that on there, unfortunately, is because that's exactly what many governments had done. You see, if you inflict cruel, an unusual, unreasonable, shame-filled punishment, that's how you gain greater control over people. That if you use shame and you use that humiliation as a deterrent, people don't want that. They fear that even more than normal. And so the Romans had used that. Others over time had used that. And that's exactly what we see in this passage. It's exactly what crucifixion was. It was a place that would fill the entire space all of that around, the area around where that crucifixion was going, in fear, and it would inflict humiliation and bring shame to those that were on those crosses. And it was done so everybody would see, everybody would know, and everybody would go away from whatever that had happened with those people. We said we cannot use it that way, that our punishment should be just and should not be cruel and unusual. And as we see on this path that Jesus had, we heard last week that Jesus had taken upon this trial, that that Pontius Pilate, in his weakness, not in his leadership, would try to wash of his hands, which he could not do because it was his responsibility, but trying to put it off on the Jews. I tell you that we at times try to put off our responsibility and act like we can wash our hands of our own sin and our own shame. But see, Jesus, when he took upon that trial, he knew what was coming. He knew where he was going. He knew the cross that he would bear and the path that he would take that would bring him to this very moment that they would gather around him and being the very nature of God, being God himself, Jesus was able to get himself out of that situation. But he chose to take upon, see we always think, well he's taking on our punishment, but he doesn't just take on our punishment, he has taken on our sin and our shame. He took the humiliation of the cross so that we would not have to bear that. So we're reminded of just how much he loves us in that moment. And I know that we've heard these stories before. I know that we've heard these passages before. But we cannot take them for granted any more than we take the blessings around us for granted. You see, the Roman judicial system was two things. It was violent, and it was about humiliation. Like we said, they, it was part of theirs. Now, I am reminded, and I use two movies more often than not in my own mind to illustrate things. And, and if, you've heard very, if you've been here very long, you've probably heard several illustrations of those. And one is the movie Hoosiers. Who doesn't love Hoosiers? And the other is about the most perfect movie that you could probably have. Anybody want to take a guess? It's the Princess Bride. <laughs> Some I already knew. We're kind of mouthing it there. The Princess Bride has brought so much great theology into my life and has brought so many great examples of things. But the Princess Bride, there's a, there's a, a difficult scene. My wife is so embarrassed to me sometimes. There's a difficult scene within the Princess Bride that brought me to this place. Because we know that he is being taken down this path, the Via Dolorosa, the being path to the cross, to his own death, after being tried and being convicted unfairly, unjustly. You have people starting to gather around. The daylight's come. You have all these people, come, right? this crowd that they're talking about. This crowd that has a heart that is not for Jesus. This heart, crowd that has a heart for themselves, and and they're just they're almost it's almost a parade route that they have made. This right now, if you've seen the the Princess Bride, there's a point where where, where Buttercup is having a dream, and the people around there and everybody's celebrating because there's going to be a wedding, and they're all hyped up, right? But there's one old lady, right? They they actually call her the Ancient booer. Anybody want that job? Boo! It's the ancient booer. And she boos her. And she tells her, Because you had love in your hands, and you gave it up. She was booing her, Because you had love in your hands, and you gave it up. You see where I'm going in that illustration? Why that would come to my mind? Of these around Jesus, knowing that he had been doing good things. He'd been doing good miracles. Everything he came out, yes, it sounded like blasphemy until they actually would hear the words and say, these are the words of God. This is what God would say. This is the compassion, the love, the grace, and the mercy that we have in our God. And even though Buttercup had thought that he was dead, right? That Wesley was dead, if you know the movie, you know our, you know that part, If not, you need to watch that movie. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> well done. This old ancient booer, she says, "Your true love lives, and yet you marry." another that is the world that we live in that is the world hopefully past tense that we have lived in but we must reflect and say do we still live in that world am i still mocking jesus we have to say even though i know that christ lives have i been married to another have I been married to the sin and married to this world and the things of this world? What is my true love? Is it God or is it the world? Your true love lives today, church. Christ lives today. Amen? Your true love lives, yet you marry another. She said, True love saved her in the fire swamp, and she treated it like garbage. I'm being honest there have been days I've probably treated Christ like garbage that I was a part of that crowd that I would mock him and yet even knowing that of this crowd that surrounded him what did he do he continued to walk until he could walk no more he continued to the cross to bear all of that humiliation that was meant specifically to take control of this world. Do you mock Jesus at all? If there's any part of you that would say, you know, that's just not true, or this part doesn't matter, or these words, do you mock Jesus? And I don't want you to answer that too quickly, church. The other reason that, that we don't allow cruel and unusual punishment and we saw quite frankly during the 60s and other times people using these things but do you know that you can get a confession out of most people if you would torture them? That if you inflict enough pain and humiliation on someone that they will eventually hit a breaking point and give in. That you can get a false confession and you can, then you can justly send someone to their punishment. But well, see, Jesus knew his punishment yet still took upon the torture that they were going to give. But he was setting examples. See, uh, different people would see this differently. Did Jesus have to have that torture upon him? And he may have, and certainly we know because he was fulfilling Scripture, but that's God's plan, that he would do that, that by his stripes we would be healed. We understand all of that. But, you know, I think he went through this in his divine plan so that we would understand, truly understand what he was willing to do. And he was unfortunately also setting a model for those that would go after him. Those that would be with him at the cross, or maybe were still hiding and not even seeing that, but that they too would hear and know what Jesus had done. And that they too now had the model and the example to stand up and take those kind of beatings, that kind of humiliation, because they knew what the reward would be. And that makes the things of this world fade away. And the things of God to stand bright in our lives. He took it on so that we would come to know Him better. And to know the love, the the willingness that He was going to go through. The willingness to take those things on for us. See, He would give no false testimony. He would not be coerced. He would not be forced into any false testimony. He couldn't say, I'm not God. Now, a lot of times we know that they asked him and he just let them figure out whatever they wanted. He just ignored them because he wanted to also show that their authority was only based on this world and their authority had no authority in the kingdom of God. That he did not have to answer their questions, even if it meant he would take that on, but he didn't have to answer their questions. He would have to answer only to his father. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the Praetorium and gathered the whole company soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe. See, they're mocking him and making fun of him. This is the kingdom, this is this is the kingdom that you have, and they would wrap him in that. They would mock his royalty, and they twisted this crown of thorns. I'm sure that we really can't imagine what even that would do. And they pushed it in as they put it on his head. And they put a staff in his right hand. This was real kingship, though. Those thorns are a symbol, I believe, of reversing the curse that was put on in early Genesis. That he put this staff, that they mocked him with this staff. Some would say scepter, That this thing, but guess what? What do you put in a shepherd's hand other than a staff? He knew that what was meant as mocking would bring about new kingdom. That would bring about a new covenant. That would bring and show his love in a way they could never even have imagined. That what they meant for mocking God would use for good. You may not call me king, but my people Will know that I am king. Put on me whatever you want. My father will make it right. My father will bring about justice. My father will turn your mocking into real royalty. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Kale! King of the Jews, he said, not only the Jews, but of all humanity. He didn't say that then, but they spit on him. They took his staff and struck him on the head. Don't miss that. Again and again. After they mocked they mocked him, they took off the road and put on his own clothes. And they led him away to crucify him going to read to you just quickly from Galatians 6 Galatians 6 verse 7 and a few others do not be deceived God cannot be mocked amen do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Church, do not give up. It is worth it. He is king. He is Lord. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The king they would mock, a greater king this place has ever never known. He is the perfect king. This, however, had to happen. Not only to fulfill prophecy, but you see, this is the consequences of sin. This is the consequences of our shame. That he would come to stand In my place and in your place. That he would come to take on all that we have see it's not just our sin i think that shame and humiliation were a part of the cross because he wanted us to understand that not only does he save us from our sin but he takes that sin upon him but he takes our shame upon him as well so if you have that today if you have still any of that sin and that shame give it over to him sometimes it's a whole lot easier to give that sin up than that shame right Amen. Sometimes it's a whole lot easier to give that up, but it is an insult to the cross not to accept the punishment that he took on and to accept his forgiveness and to doing that for us. I believe it is an insult to the cross not to accept that freedom and that eternal life that he has done that for us. But it's still an insult to the cross and the humiliation of the cross not to give over our shame to him. That we are given freedom from our sin, but we are also given freedom from the shame and the humiliation that he took on. He took it for a purpose. If he took it, then it is no longer for us to take. And we are to give it over to him. That is the beauty of the humiliation of the cross. There's purpose in that. Sometimes it's, why did he have to do that? I don't think he had to. I think he wanted to because he knew what we needed. And he is a God of provision in all things. And he wants us to have that. Too often, we dress ourselves as kings. We will put on the things that this world would say, this is what it looks like to have authority. This was what it looks like to have power. And we put those things on, but they will be nothing but filthy rags. They are nothing fit for a king. That is only when it is the things of God that is truly fit for a king. Even if the world doesn't understand that and would mock it, it is what is righteous. It is what is pure. It is what is holy. It is the things of God. We put on the robe. We have allowed, when we have come back to the Father that He has met us, what? He has met us with a robe and wraps it around us. That we are an inheritance of His crown. That if we do not fall into the trap to seek the kingdom of this world, we will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is good. It is a difficult time. It is a difficult passage to think of what he physically went through, what he spiritually and emotionally, the battles that are around him, the difficult we hear and we see in the garden that has led up to just this point, the, the depth of his affliction, the depth of, God, Father, take this cup from me. Yet he does it anyway. And there is no reason other than because of the wonderful and complete love that He has had for everyone that is here. As He has met with us today. And we've seen that, right? We have seen that He has met with us today. He continues to meet with us. He continues to set His example. He continues to come to us at the table. That is what the beauty of communion is as we continue to come back to Him, are reminded of the new covenant, that everything that changed, that the kingdom itself changed, that the robes of this world were no longer the robes, the crowns of this world are no longer the crown, and the Truly the staff of this world is no longer the scepter, the representation. But no, he is. And he says, when you come to the table, be reminded of who I am and what I have done. Be reminded of the new covenant that I've placed within your minds and your hearts that is a more perfect representation, a more perfect covenant, not of getting rid of, but of clarifying, of bringing about, fulfilling the old covenant in the new covenant that he has done through his body that was broken and through his blood that was shed. That we come and this remembrance is solemn, but it is joy-filled. That it is we meet with him at the table, that his presence is with us every time we have felt His presence. So when we come to the table this morning, I pray that you take this cup and that you take this bread and you remember all that He has done and willing to do, not just that He did it, not just that it was horrible, not just that it was shame-filled, but it was with a purpose to remove my sin and my shame. And man, if you can't get excited and filled with joy and filled with the Spirit to take on the very body and blood of Christ, that was given over, that he may suffer humiliation so that we will not. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly, gracious Father, let us be filled with joy because your presence is known. We know that it is there, but it is known and felt today, Lord, in a wonderful and powerful way. Let us continue to remember, never to forget, never to take for granted the one that would Take on the robe, take on the crown, take the staff, take the beating, be taken to the cross so that we may be given life, and we love you for that this day. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen, amen. We're so happy that you've chosen to listen to our sermon today on the platform of your choice. We at Corey Community Church of the Nazarene continue to honor our calling to be kingdom people. We rely upon the gift of the fellowship and community to equip each other to fulfill our mission of reflecting the love of Christ to all those that God has placed within our lives. We welcome you to join us on Sundays at 10:30 a.m. in Cory, Indiana, just south of State Road 46. God bless.